Hi everyone, Troy Sage here and this is Real Estate Talk. In these episodes of Real Estate Talk on our podcast, we will be interviewing lenders, realtors, and about anything and everything to do with real estate. So stay tuned for this episode. Hey everyone, it's Troy Sage here of Sage & Associates and on this episode of Real Estate Talk, this is the COVID-19 series and we're talking about all kinds of stuff that's going on. Um, in the real estate world, I'm honored to have my friend and one of the top lenders that we work with, uh, Derek Allen, with me as a guest. So I appreciate you being here, Derek. Thanks. Thank you, Troy. So let's start with uh, this is this is our first uh, little interview session that we've done in um, I think ever. I know we, we talk almost every day. <laughs> we do. But uh, let, uh, give us a little background about you, who you work with, where you do loans, your experience, your passion, your big why, whatever you want to say. So. I started up in this business in 1993. Um, I've been doing it 20, a little over 27, just right around 27 years. Started out in hard money, um, which is an interesting time in 93. Um, moved up to uh, uh, kind of the subprime. Uh, was a manager for a company for about two years. And then moved on and got into the broker world. And uh, that didn't quite fit what I was looking for and found, uh, got into uh, the builders. Uh, I worked for Centex Homes and for DR Horton in their, in their lending companies. <clears throat> I was uh, uh, the area sales manager for CTX for about two and a half years. And um, I've kind of seen it all. I mean, I've been through all of it. It seems like from 93 to now, all the, all the uh, hills and valleys that we've seen in this mortgage industry and in this real estate industry. Um, and 93, man, that was a wild era. I started my career in the late 80s when interest rates were double digits. Yeah, 12. <laughs> yeah, and I, I know that uh, I, I remember uh, in Detroit, just outside Detroit, I was selling there. And man, when interest rates hit nine and a half, we didn't need anything. We had no internet like we have now. So I'm really dating myself, but we didn't need anything. We got on the phone and just start calling buyers go hey you know interest rates at nine and a half and they were like sell me a home today yeah so yeah you got in right when the market had gotten really weird it was coming out of this double digit thing um uh, let me ask you you mentioned hard money uh yeah. ex explain that to our viewers what is hard money so hard money is a it's a mortgage where you generally have like a almost like a private investor so you have a pool of money where people have gone into these companies, these hard money companies, and they've brought in hundreds of thousands of dollars and some millions to sell off mortgages to. And they, you know, they, they get them at, you know, sometimes, um, I mean, I, I remember with the hard money company, I was selling rates at, you know, 9.95 and 10.95 with, excuse me, but with 10 points. My God. Oh, dude, it was crazy. So 10 points, 10%. Mm -hmm. So yeah. for the viewers, then they don't understand some of the, some of the jargon, but a point is 1%. 1% of the loan amount. Yeah. So, so if you have a $150,000 loan, $15,000 of that $150,000 is going toward an origination fee. Wow. I know. Wow. Wow. And, and, and to simplify what, what you're saying is, is, um, and there, there's hard money lenders out there right now. I talk to them quite often. Yeah, they're still out there. Uh, there are great programs for people that have been through foreclosure, bankruptcy, short sales. They just don't have 
great credit. They don't have the big downstroke, but you're going to pay for all of that. You are, but you know, it's also for, you know, a lot of investors are finding that because they don't have to go through all the rigmarole of qualifying because they've got, you know, five or six, seven, eight other properties or, you know, they're going to have it on a short term because they're going to flip it. So they'll go in and take a two year loan or whatever it is at nine and a half percent, knowing that they're going to make two payments at the most and get the house flipped and get it back on the market and be no the wiser. And it's a lot easier to qualify for because the, <clears throat> the private money investor is just looking for the His main focus is just looking on the collateral, which is the home. So they just want loan to value. That's all they care about for the most part. I mean, you know, you've got some credit, but it's mainly loan to value. Yeah. It, it, so I, I, I've explained this to people before and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. It's almost like going to, I don't know, a family member that has several million dollars yeah. saying, so they, Hey, I'd like to borrow. I'll make up a number. I'd like to borrow $400,000 to buy this home over here. And because it's not regulated by the government and it's not FDI insured and all the extra things that uh, are attached to a corporation, your family member go here, here's $400,000 and you're going to pay me 10% interest amortized over 30 years. And uh, to secure that family member or friend that's going to loan that money, they're going to have the property as collateral in the event that you don't pay, just like a bank. Correct. And a lot of those hard money, a lot of those private lenders won't go through. I mean, they'll amortize over 30 years, but most of them are for short term. So they'll do a two year, three year. Some might go to five, but usually it's a two or three year. They want to be able to get that money out and get it back, you know, get it back working for them again somewhere else. And yeah, because they're, they're, they're not a bank. It's not like they can just go to the, to the feds and borrow more money. <laughs> Correct. That's it's their, their actual cash that they have yeah. or yeah. the pool, however you want to look at it. Yeah. I was just talking about servicing today with, uh, with one of my clients. I was trying to explain how servicing works and how the banks package uh, mm -hmm. their, their, their loans and then they sell them off uh, you know, to, the, um, to the servicing companies and so on and so forth. So it's funny that um, uh, the past repeats itself. I just had this conversation this morning with one of, uh, one of my buyers. Well, it's funny because it's funny you say that because that's probably the biggest thing right now that this, this current mortgage market is probably going through with this servicing part of it. Because like you said, you're finding people that are um, packaging loans and they'll package, you know, they have a scale of A plus loans, A, B plus, and so on and so forth. And so there's so many loans that they have to have that's packaged in that are in the A plus criteria and they're having a tough time, especially with this whole first payment default and that they're going through with COVID now. So it's getting, it's, that's, I think is probably one of the biggest things that we're running through now, because based on where market is right now, we should be seeing rates that are historically low. I mean, yeah. catastrophically low. <laughs> I mean, to put it even a better case, um, right before this whole COVID started, you know, one of the things that they look at is um, the bond market. That's really what pushes the mortgage market. And the bond market at the time, right before COVID, was uh, the two and a half year yield was trading at like 1.28. Now we're at over 1.4. And normally at 1.28, I mean, I think we would hit 1.33 or 1.3, 1 1.330. And the the rates were phenomenal. I mean, they were pushing like 3% on a 30 year fix. 
And then all of a sudden COVID hit and this whole thing where the, the lenders just got scared. They got really scared. And normally they're saying right now that the servicing, for servicing uh, a, a one particular loan, they have to be in it for three years just for the servicer to break even. So they have to stay in it for 36 months. And a lot of these loans are refinancing in eight to 12 months. So they're not getting back the money that they thought they were getting back in that servicing. So I think what's happening is that you're finding a lot of, <clears throat> you're finding these, these lenders now taking more money on the front end and getting a bigger, a bigger um, donation, I should say, on the front because they're losing so much money on the back. And so I think that's the reason why we haven't really seen rates really drop where they are because right now, as of today, you had the, you had the, two, the two and a half yield at 1.4 or, or 104.10. And you have the yield, or you have the um, uh, the yield at like 0 0.60, which is phenomenal. Uh, the Treasury, and normally, normally people are saying right now, based on those mark, based on those rates, on those numbers right now, the rates should be definitely under three. So it's the lenders are scared. I mean, they're 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 a little worried right now about you know what the servicing is going to be like for these new loans coming in. The government will essentially step in, and there's there's a plan in place. Um, we'll see what we'll see what happens. So let me make sure I'm understanding you correctly, so that our viewers and our listeners understand. Yeah. <clears throat> when you talk about a servicer, and you talk about the lender. Yes. So, so correct correct me if I'm wrong in my example. Okay. Um, is that so? Uh, a home buyer goes to Bank of America. Yes. They get they get a home loan through Bank of America. And right after they close on their home and they get their first payment booklet, it says, thank you for borrowing money from Bank of America. Correct. Please make all payments to Aquin Servicing. Yes. And Aquin, what is, these examples I've given are real. Aquin is one of the biggest servicers for Bank of America. Huge. So what happens then, so let's backtrack a little bit. Bank of America does say $10 million worth of loans and they package this all in, as you said, they're A plus, A, B plus, or B. And they go to a company like Aquin and they say, we'd like you to service these. Aquin pays for the rights to service. Correct. So they'll, they'll, they'll pay anywhere from, they'll pay anywhere from one to two and a half percent, depending on the market, um, extra. So Aquin will pay that to Bank of America to get the servicing out of it. So then what happens is, is that what they're paying on, you know, what they're making on that money or what they've given away for that money now they're expecting a certain servicing time to be able to recoup that money back and they're not getting that. They're not getting that money back. I heard on, I heard from one, one of my, um, uh, account representatives for, uh, for Quicken loans. He had mentioned that, you know, they're in, for the most part, they're, some of the lenders are losing some of the big lenders, Aquin, UWM are losing hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of dollars per day with these refinances that they've lost. Yeah. Which is, which is adding to why the banks are not dropping rates. Yeah, it is. It definitely they're, is. They're borrowing at that 0.60% or 0 or 1%. And the misconception to the general public, when they see that on the news or they read it on Facebook or wherever they get it, they think, oh my gosh, I can borrow money for 0% and buy a home. Yeah. Not real. That's what the bank is borrowing the money from, from, the, uh, from the federal bank. Correct. Right? Yeah. So, and that is how the government, and I'm not going to get political, 
but that, that's how the system works. The federal bank here in the United States establishes rates because they want to loan the money out to the banks. Correct. Banks can only borrow so much depending on what their buying power is. Once they then loan all that money out, they want to sell that to a servicer to fill their account again. Correct. Right? So pretty simple. Uh, what's changed in loans? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, absolutely. Cause I, th I think the biggest change right now, especially since, you know, since COVID's hit is, um, you know, a lot of guidelines have cut back. Um, I just found out the other day that, um, you know, even on FHA, we're normally, FHA can go down to a credit score. I, I mean, I've seen it go down as low as 580. And with this whole new pandemic that we're going through, it's, it's cut back on, on the lending criteria um, quite considerably. I mean, I just found out yesterday that FHA is still sticking to their, to their um, guidelines of, you know, they'll go as low as a 580, but all the lenders now have a um, kind of like their own guidelines in place um, where now they're not accepting the, the, the minimum credit score on FHA right now is 680 which is crazy. So what that means is if somebody wants to buy a home, first time home buyer, FHA has been around for a long time. It was established for first time home buyers to get people into buying their own home. Exactly. And uh, FHA has historically been uh, first time buyers, people with lower credit than normal, whatever the limits are, right? For okay. conventional loan. Mm -hmm. And they insure the loan. So when you buy, uh, via FHA mortgage, you're going to have what's called a mortgage insurance added to your payment every month. You are. So, so when you look at, when you look at FHA, VA, um, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, um, God, I can't think of the other ones right now. Um, Ginny Mae. Yeah. I mean, I mean what they are, they're, they're, in, they're all insurance companies. So they insure the mortgages. I know a lot of people think that that's who you get your more, that's who the lenders get their money from. But technically what they do is they're, they're an insurance company. So they insure the mortgages and they write out the guidelines that all of us lenders have to stick to if we want that loan purchased by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA, um, in, in, anyone. So they have their own guidelines set up that we, that we as lenders have to follow so that, that loan will be, so that loan will be purchased. So it's, and right now, the guidelines for FHA haven't changed. It's just the lenders now have put overlays in their own guidelines because they don't want to, they don't want to risk getting a buyback and having to go back and purchase that loan themselves. So they're sticking, they're kind of putting their own guidelines in there just to, I, I, I guess, just to make it a little, it seems like to me they're making it for a smaller pool of people, to be honest with you. Because I, I yeah, I, I think you're totally right. And I think um, uh, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, if FHA is saying minimum credit score or FICO score is 580, that's the minimum. That's fine. But what the lenders are doing, the mortgage companies and the banks are saying 580 is great, but 680 is better because we can definitely sell this back to Fannie or Freddie or whatever to ensure. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's exactly what's, I mean, it's exactly what's happened. I think even on, even on your conventional, like your Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, I think, I think we're six, I mean, you could go as low as a 640, your, your rate gets hit, you know, obviously when, when you go down to a 640 on conventional, 
not so much on FHA, because again, like you said, that's what FHA was built for. FHA was built for the people that didn't have a lot of down payment and didn't have great credit. Not bad, just not 700. And unfortunately, you know, I still get a lot of people that are FHA that are 700 FICO scores because it's, you know, technically, and, you know, before COVID hit, rates were usually better on FHA by a good half a percent. Um, you know, there's some other criteria that go in between FHA and conventional with mortgage insurance and so on and so forth. But for the most part, I mean, it's, it's, it's gotten a little more stringent. It's almost gotten to the point where, you know, like in 2007 and 2008, when we had the mortgage crisis, they cut everything. I mean, it's the market that we're in now with COVID is so much different than that one because, you know, back then the mortgage, you know, the mortgage meltdown of 2008 was strictly due to the fact that the lenders put in all these stupid loans. You know, you had no income, no asset, hundred percent. Nobody had skin in the game. I know we talked about the uh, credit scores being higher. Uh, minimum requirements by the lenders, not necessarily by the secondary market. They haven't really changed much, but the lenders are making it more difficult, uh, more stringent uh, in regards to their parameters. Um, talk to us, talk to me and the audience a little bit about um, what's changed in regards to your debt to income ratios. Explain debt to income ratios if you wouldn't mind. And um, now I'm learning uh, as of earlier this week and the end of last week, we have loans that are in place and banks are yanking the money at the very end. They're doing verification of employment. They're asking for, for reserves. Their DTI is all messed up. Debt to income ratios are messed up. They're, they're changing everything during the game. So talk to us a little bit about some of the things in which you're seeing in regards to debt to income ratios and reserves and whatnot, what people can expect. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I'm seeing, one of the big things I'm seeing is definitely on debt to income ratio. Um, FHA, like we had talked about before, um, was built for lower credit scores, less down payment, and looking for the borrowers to have a, a bigger debt to income ratio. So debt to income ratio is you take your income gross compared to what your outgoing debt is with your mortgage payment, if it's, well, whether it's a purchase or a refinance. So on a purchase, you're, you're taking your new, what your new payment's gonna be along with all the other debt you have, which is anything that falls on your credit report credit cards, car payments, student loans, installment loans, you name it. If it's on your credit report, it has to be put into your debt ratio. The things that aren't put into your debt ratio are your everyday things. PG&E, water, cable, food, um, you know, all the other stuff. That stuff is not put into your debt ratio. So right now with debt ratio, uh, before FHA used to, I mean, I've gotten 56.7% back in debt ratio meaning the back end is all of your debt included, house payment and your debt. Your front end debt ratio is strictly your house payment. So you have two numbers. You have your front end debt ratio and your back end debt ratio. Front end's home, back end's everything, including your home. And they were going up to, I mean, like I said, I've gotten a few that were approved at 56.7. When I started selling real estate, you talked about front end and back end numbers, your ratios. Yeah. So it was 2836. 20% for yeah. 36% for all outstanding debt. Yep, and there was no going past that. There was no way. Yeah. So if somebody walked in at 26.5% back in numbers, the bank said, sorry, we're not doing it. Yeah. Right, as tough as it was. So right now, debt to income ratios, um, I have a deal going on right now where the bank came back and said, 
we're so sorry, we're, we've, we approved the loan, but as of this week, we've changed our underwriting regulations and your debt to income ratio can't be higher than 45% back in. Right. When we had them approved at 52%. Now. Yeah, I mean, I mean con conventional would go up to 50 all day long. Yeah. As long as you had other strong you know, factors to a credit score, but usually. So in today's market, you've got to have good credit. You've, you've got to have stake in the game. You, you're not going to no money down. You're going to three and a half percent minimum. Um, and those are tough now because they're asking for reserves on some lenders, right? They're asking for reserves, uh, which means, hey, uh, you've got to have 60 days, 90 days worth of money left in the bank after you buy the home that if something catastrophic happens, you're making your payment for the next 90 days. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this, this whole COVID has definitely pulled, pulled a lot of things. You know, I mean, they're most lenders aren't even doing jumbo anymore. So anything, so a jumbo loan is characterized anything over seven. Now, let me take a couple steps back. So you have, um, you have a conforming loan limit. The conforming loan limit right now, national is 510,400. Um, then you have what they call a high balance loan limit, which is still under conventional or Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac guidelines. And it's usually for states like uh, New York, uh, California, who have higher who have higher home prices. So they have a, uh, a high balance conforming loan limit that will go up to 765. And then anything over a $765,000 loan goes into what they call jumbo. Right now, most lenders aren't even doing jumbo right now. In the home buying process, I tell every single buyer, before you start looking at homes, talk to a lender. Correct. We do this for multiple reasons. One, we want to know what their budget is. We don't have to spend their whole budget. And I think the general public gets scared if they get approved to say 500. Um, we do have agents out there that push the 500. But the reality is, is a good agent is going to say, what are you comfortable with in your mortgage payments? Let's see if we can find a home that suits your needs in these payments. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Make sure when you're working with a lender or a real estate agent that they're providing you with such massive service, you don't have any questions that are unanswered. Yeah. When a buyer talks to a lender to borrow money to buy a home, there's two, two, pieces, two documents that can be produced by a lender. One is a pre-approval, and one is a pre-qualification, right. okay? Explain those two for me, please, because I've explained it, but I want to hear it directly from you, a top-notch lender, what the difference is and what should be done. So for me, uh, the difference for me between pre-qualification and pre-approval is, a pre-qualification to me is, um, I'm getting some information from, uh, from a buyer. I'm getting his name, address, social security number, I'm gonna run credit, I want to know where he works. I want to know. Um, I want to know, you know, how long he's been there, what his income is, if his wife's on there with him. What same for her? How much they've had in the bank? What the retirement is? It's just, it's more putting information down on paper. That's a pre-qualification. I haven't. I've just taken some information and gone off what they've done. That's what I consider a pre-qualification. So it's I've an interview. It's an interview asking yeah, qualifying yeah, questions. Yeah. Absolutely. And off of that pre-approval is getting that information, sending it in, getting a, almost like, almost like a pre-underwriting approval um, where you've sent it in to an underwriter and they've looked at it, viewed it, and given you back an, uh, uh, an approval, uh, an underwriting approval. 
to me, that's a pre-approval. You are good to go. You're pre you're pre-approved based on whatever purchase price you have in there, and you can from there on out you can go shopping. I mean, I've said this once. If I've said it ten million times before, any agent or any buyer or a combination thereof get in a car and start looking at properties pre-COVID and during COVID. We just have to hazmat up or whatever you guys want to call it. Uh, to go look at homes, they've got to talk to a lender first. They yeah, because I, yeah, oh, it's 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 imperative because otherwise, you as a real estate agent are going to be taking people out looking at homes when they have no have no clue on what they're pre-approved to. They could be approved at four fifty, and you're showing them seven hundred thousand dollar homes, and they're right. getting love with those seven hundred thousand dollar homes. Trust me, and they're coming back going, oh well, uh, you know. And then all of a sudden, a loan officer comes back and says, well, I can only get them approved at four fifty. Okay, well then why was I just taking them out and showing them 700000 And what the buyer does then is they compare everything to the $700,000 home. Oh, yeah. And so the $400,000 home is crap now, no matter how cool it is. So, yeah. Derek, man, I appreciate you a lot. I know I've said this a lot. This has been like a bromance here. Um, <laughs> I, I do appreciate you. I, I love the information you give. You do a great job. If anyone's looking for a, a loan, they need to get pre-approved. Uh, you know, contact Eric here. His information is on the video. Uh, it is also in the description. Um, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. Uh, this will be on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, leave some posts. Feel free to reach out to, to any of us. Uh, uh, Derek, thank you sincerely so much for being on this. Let's do more of these. All right. Oh, absolutely, Troy. It's, it's, it's an absolute pleasure working with you. Awesome. Thanks, man. Listen, I appreciate you. I appreciate everyone watching this video. Again, please subscribe. Leave us some comments. If you have anything that you want to talk about, shoot me an email. Uh, I'll do a whole podcast on whatever topic you guys want to know. You're my audience, and I want to deliver information, anything in which you want to know. So thanks again for watching, and as always, my friends, make it a great day. Take care.